Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for listening to Honey and Hustle. We are a visual podcast that features conversations with small business owners, creative entrepreneurs, and those in the nonprofit community. We're so glad that we started sharing our podcast here on Anchor FM. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and it will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on all the major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you're listening to this right now, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Thank you to Blackology Coffee Company for sponsoring this video. Take 10% off your next order at Blackology Coffee Company by using the link at the description, www.blackologycoffeecompany.com backslash Angela. Hey everybody, my name is Angela. I'm your host and producer here at Honey and Hustle. I am joined by Julia Firestone all the way from New York. She's an incredible coach. And I just can't wait for you guys to meet her and hear more about what she does. Julia, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like I've been getting a lot of people from this New Northeast area that have just been doing some incredible work in leadership and just, you know, uh, working with people and working with teams to enhance their ability to make an impact. So, can you tell me a little bit more about? how you got started and really interested in coaching people through their leadership journey. Yeah, so I sort of fell into it, I think like a lot of people. I was accidentally coaching for years, so I had started a group for women in social impact to support each other, kind of a networking group, um, back in 2014. And through it, I ended up getting all these requests to do kind of like a coffee meeting with folks who are changing careers to, to work in social impact or having bad experiences in the nonprofit sector. Um, and so I was sort of, I was like mentor coaching. Um, and then I ended up doing a program called the Coaching Fellowship, um, which offers low cost executive coaching to um, uh, I think they may have expanded since I did it, but it was for young women who were focused in social impact and also scale. Um, so I did that program, worked with the coach, and I was like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. I really want to actually offer this too and be more thoughtful about how I do it. Um, and so I sort of started coaching without certification at first, um, and I was working with social entrepreneurs um, folks in nonprofits, uh, people in corporate social impact. And it was really good, but I, I felt like I needed sort of that floor beneath me um, through the certification. So I ended up doing a program called Coaching for Transformation. Um, I was actually living in Los Angeles for a bit and I did it there. Um, and in the program, my particular coach trainers, uh, Damon and Sarah, were so incredibly brilliant and were former community organizers 
we're like really centering the program in racial justice and equity and healing. And so the group of people in the cohort were like the most incredible people I had ever met. Um, and I had such an immense pleasure doing peer coaching with them and they're still dear friends. Um, and so, yeah, I, I actually did the certification while I was switching from corporate social impact to corporate innovation and strategy. And it was ostensibly for my innovation work because I was running innovation sprint teams in a big corporate company um, where it was a really helpful skill to have as a facilitator and trainer and um, the kind of leader within the company. Um, but I was really missing that social impact element. Um, I was doing lots of stuff around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the company too, wherever I could help. But I was seeing, and this is a long answer, sorry, but I was seeing <laughs> just how many um, incredibly purpose-driven people who were, you know, really advocating with everything they had for racial justice, equity, and healing within the organization and were really just being passed over for promotions, for opportunities, for mentorship and support. And it was like the most frustrating thing because I was seeing these incredibly talented, hardworking people who were advocating for themselves and for so many other people, like really for the organization and were not being recognized for that or paid for it. Um, and so I really wanted to leave and be able to support those folks who are working their butts off for the good of all and are not receiving the support and the admiration and recognition that they really deserve. Yeah, um, that was a long answer, but it was such a good answer because I feel like it gives people really an introduction into who you are and into this concept that is transformational leadership coaching that you do. Um, and one thing that really was like a thread that you tied together was that, you know, through leadership, through mentoring, through coaching, you've also found a space for people to find healing and mm -hmm. to struggle, to like work through um, negative work experiences. And I think that's a lot of the draw to people who want to become social enterprise business owners and social entrepreneurs because they're like, well, I've had a bad experience. And, you know, I felt like, you know, what I was trying to do maybe wasn't translating well to the companies of all goals and, you know, the way that I want to help people and the way that I want to coach helping people may not be congruent with, you know, moving up and growing and scaling in the way that the company thinks about growing and scaling a business. So can you talk to me a little bit more about, you know, just some of the conversations and experiences you have through mentoring people and just helping them one reconcile with negative past work experiences, heal through them, and then also come out with a plan to make a positive, like I have a positive relationship with the work position. Oof, such a good question. Yeah, and I think we've discussed before those traumatic experiences in the workplace. Um, I would say like 99% of the clients I work with have had a traumatizing work experience whether it's their most recent one or like one before that's really kind of left them struggling to like catch their breath in their, in their work now. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people also come to me as a coach with sort of like a, I don't want to say surface level, but it's kind of like a, a very technical concrete ask of like, help me get the next job and we'll revamp my resume and cover letter and like, to be honest, I don't have an HR background, so I, I have all the tools to do that. It's not my favorite thing, 
But what ends up happening is people come in and they're like, um, I want to change jobs. I don't like my job. And then as you know, I start with a, a pathway in coaching around needs and values. It's like really just like, what do you need? And folks who have had traumatic experiences in their workplaces have not been asked that question, right? Like if they have a therapist, they have, but otherwise they're like, it's, it's a revelation just to be asked, what, asked, what do you need? Um, and so often I, I sort of help be with my clients in partnership to step away a little bit. Like I give them all the tools. I give them, you know, my Google Drive folder with all the resources on resume cover letter stuff and I'll review it and help them, you know, apply. But so much of it is, um, is actually doing that deep healing work. That's a lot kind of, it, it's, they may come in not having sort of like a woo woo mindset. They might not be thinking we're going to go like do this deep shadow work. And that ends up being the place of like so much transformation that is required in order for them to get that next role and feel really good about it. Um, but a lot of it I've, I've been noticing, and this is sort of just um, something that's come out in the last year as I've been doing coaching, is so much of it is um, reorienting towards pleasure. And so it'll seem really weird to my clients at first that the first time we meet, I'm giving them requests and challenges, which they can always accept decline or offer an alternative that really center around like, what is pleasurable for you? So I, you know, they might say something like, uh, I really need naps in the day, but I feel lazy when I do it. And I'm going to make a request of them that they nap every day. Like I'm going to really ask them to lean into what feels good and healing, um, whether that's like play the piano or take that walk or take that nap um, and, and finding ways to integrate pleasure because it actually is about self-love, about healing and about reminding themselves that they don't need to do anything to deserve having well-being and, and having that care for themselves. So, so much of the healing takes place within that space of pleasure. Um, <clears throat> and then I think uh, the other thing is reorienting towards relationship building and away from cold applications. So like people come in feeling traumatized by their past job and they're like, okay, the easiest pathway out is I'm going to like send off a ton of cold applications to people I don't know for jobs. I'm not really, you know, I don't really understand what the job is, but it, the title sounds cool. Um, and I, I really pull clients more towards like let's do long-term meaningful relationship building. And within that space, um, can I, is it okay if I curse? Go for it. <laughs> like a, I have a really strong no assholes policy in my relationship building and networks. And so I really encourage people to reorient from like, oh, I had this boss who was really powerful, but they were really mean and, and traumatizing. Um, and treated me horribly and disrespected me in so many ways. And I'm like, they're not on your list. We're not connecting with them. We're thinking about like the bright spots, the people where you have a conversation with them and you walk away like energized and excited and feeling whole and seen. So like whether that's someone you've worked with or someone who's a friend or a family member, like it doesn't matter. You're focusing your energy on talking to them and then asking them for three other people who they feel energized and excited about talking to, who you can then have a conversation with and, and really orienting towards like building yourself back up and building that confidence that like, 
yeah, people treated you badly, that was about them. That wasn't actually about who you are. I know, I know, this is getting really good. But I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you. Thank you so much for watching and listening to the show. Whether you're a day one fan or day 100 fan, I'm so glad that you found Honey and Hustle and have decided to stick along for the ride. As a thank you, I wanted to give you a little gift that this show has so graciously given me. The ability to continue to connect with thought leaders, industry leaders, business owners, and other entrepreneurs, no matter where I am. Link offers a digital business card that is a natural extension of my website and social media platforms that allows me to easily send people to strategic landing pages so they can learn a little bit more about me, the resources I offer, and how we can continue to stay connected. When you click the link below in the description, you'll get 15% off any of their wearables, phone taps, and hopefully the last physical business card you'll ever need. When you do this, I get a little percentage back at no extra cost to you, which helps me continue to host guests and industry leaders so they can give you advice and help you crush the hustle. Thank you so much again for supporting the show and our show sponsor, Link. All right, let's get back into it. No, that's like a really important distinction sometimes. These like two as business and personal relationships can go very hand in hand and do overlap in a lot of ways. Like people really get blindsided by the fact that maybe they were mistreated or weren't treated in the way they thought they would be or hoped they would be based on the way that they treated other people. Um, and realizing it's separating that from the fact that yes, it is personal, but it's not personal to you. Like it has nothing to do with you. And so you don't need to take it as a personal front to your character and who you are and your ability to be productive and a contributing member to an organization. Um, yes. So that's like a really great distinction. Um, and earlier you mentioned that um, traditionally, and I'm sure you've helped men as well, but you traditionally have focused on mentoring women specifically. And typically when women think about self-care and incorporating self-care into their work habits and you know daily work life, it comes after a burnout period, right? Mm. That's a sport. And so I thought that was really interesting that you placed an emphasis on starting with, let's take care of you first, right? Yeah. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't do anything else, right? So yes. you need to establish these patterns and these habits of like incorporating self-care into your daily walk, right? Because that's a part of your daily work life. Like everything has to be in balance. Um, sure. Awesome. Yeah, and I should say, like, I don't work exclusively with women. I, I serve everyone who's committed to making a positive impact in their organizations and communities and beyond. Um, but I do seem to, like, primarily attract women um, who are, like, from totally different backgrounds and places around the world and experiences. Um, but that that so rings true. Like, you're absolutely right. It's... it's um, you know, starting from how do you, how do you build well-being and pleasure into your day so that we can like prevent the burnout all together? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. And there are definitely going to be periods where like, as you know, like when you're working in social impact and social enterprise type work, like you're definitely really passionate about it. It's something that you're willing to put in long hours to, but that doesn't also mean that you don't need rest. You know what I mean? Like you definitely sure. feel like need to incorporate regular rest periods and things like that so um. yeah yeah you're so right I and I actually think it's sort of a chronic challenge and an issue in the nonprofit space in particular um is that like there's this expectation that because you care about doing good in the world you're like there to sacrifice 
uh, salary benefits, like your mental health, your like physical well-being, um, and like I think that's bullshit. And I, I actually like first got into this I think partly because I had my own really challenging experiences in nonprofits, being like paid the worst salary and like begging for like a 2K raise and that being, you know, actually I thought we could maybe withhold your salary because the organization is struggling right now. Like I, I, ha I had some experiences like that and I don't want anyone to go through that again. And I want the folks who are leading nonprofits to understand why that is unacceptable and how you need to, you know, practice what you preach. So if you're talking about um, helping communities to access resources and support, like you need to be giving resources and support to your people who are working for you. You need to, if you're advocating for places to pay fairly, you need to be paying fairly in your organizations. And if you don't have the budget to do that, then you don't hire the team, right? Like you need, you need to start with making sure you can take care of your people. Yeah. And I think too, like this isn't something we've gotten into much on this show, but it's something that I hope we can explore a little bit more is that like, and normalize too in conversation that nonprofits are still businesses. Yeah, mm -hmm. maybe they get taxed a little bit differently, but they you still have to run them and operate them and think about them as businesses if you want them to be successful, if you want to have, you know, repeat funding, repeat donors, um, repeat, you know, like continuous, long-term, meaningful relationships that are going to grow, you know, the organization to have the impact that you want it to have. Um, and I think that's something that gets lost in translation because of the fact that you know, donations and stuff like that are given so willingly without a whole, whole lot of expectation on return directly to donors themselves, right? It's more for community impact than, you know, like what is this $5, $10, however many dollars donation going to go to creating and generating impact for the broader people, not just me. So I think like that ownership of like where that responsibility lies in terms of who nonprofits are serving can sometimes get misconstrued as community focused only but it's like well, there's people doing that work right it's not you know there's this is an organization for a reason there's people that are not just donating money but also donating not donating time i guess but spending their time working within this organization to like yeah. grow this so it's like there is a responsibility to those people Yes, you are so right. I, and I think there's like, it, absolutely it's a business and you have to have the same responsibilities and you have to think of it the same way. And I think one challenging difference maybe between like a, a company where you're accountable to shareholders or, you know, whatever, or executives, but like in a nonprofit, you're accountable to your donors. And so I think there's um, there and there's such a power imbalance between most funders and organization nonprofits and organizations, and so I think you know I would offer and I'm trying to like put this to every funder I speak with too like a big challenge that you are also building into your funding the well-being of the employees in an organization right like that's not a so often it's like we won't give you open funding or we you know it's I'm like not even remembering the words because I haven't worked in nonprofits in a bit. But it's like, it's always sort of, it's for this bucket. It's only for the community. You cannot spend it on your staff. You cannot spend it on their salaries or whatever. But like, you know, if the funders are leading the way and saying, you know, you have to also put this towards people development, towards like, our expectations are that you have diverse leadership, 
that everyone gets paid time off that, you know, like setting some ground rules of like, we won't fund you unless these are your policies and we will fund those policies to make them possible. Um, if not, you know, like finding those different dynamics that can really um, challenge like all of the norms that are really toxic in the nonprofit sector. No, that's a really good way to put it because I just remember distinctly like a couple of years ago, and I say a couple, it could have been quite a few years ago where American Red Cross, like their founder, our CEO got, got caught on the planet because of like his salary became public. So like, mm. I think not all nonprofits, like they have to disclose, you know, what the staff is being paid. So it's all public facing information. And like he and his staff got caught on the fire because they were making like what people felt like was too much, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, whether or not you agree that CEOs to make a certain amount, CEOs and nonprofits to make a certain amount, you know, what we also have to look at is, like, okay, if they're making a certain amount and the staff is making a local wage, like, why are we okay with them making less, right? If the impact right. is to like, you know, why are we okay with them making less than, you know, mm-hmm. a for-profit business that may not really be creating the best product, creating the best personal service experience, a client experience, as these nonprofits are doing and generating the same amount of social impact. So I think like that's also a conversation that needs to be had. Like this like intense need to say that like well if you're gonna do something that cares for the people, then that means that like you yourself should not be cared for. Like that's not how this works. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, you just said so many really important things in there. I'm like, oh I wanna touch on all of that. But um you know, one comes to mind, which is like, I, yeah, I, I think, and tell me if I got this wrong, but I think one thing you were saying is like, you know, it's not so much about telling the CEO they can't make that great salary. It's about like, it's not an either or, or zero sum game. It's like, how can we make sure that all of your staff is being paid, not just a living wage, but a great wage where they want to stay, where they're treated as valued, um, and and where, you know, they're like celebrated for their work. Um, and this, this is like a little bit of left field, but um, I have this cool book that my team, when we were in innovation, we were kind of transitioning a whole group of us from social impact, running a global literacy campaign to corporate innovation and strategy, which was a weird one. I won't break that down because we don't have that much time, but um, we read this book together, which is called How to Be More, or no, Just Be More Pirate. And in it, and it's like totally faded because I've had it, you know, for a while. But the um, the author talks about these like incredibly progressive organizational policies that the Enlightenment Age pirates had, um, like every democratic voting. Everyone had one vote equally across the board. Um, the the ship's captain had no more than four times the salary of the lowest paid member of the crew. And so, like, I, I actually in our innovation work challenged the CEO to do that, (laughs) to like make sure that, you know, there was like no more than 4X, which is like a massive change from where CEO to lowest paid company member are. But I think it's so important that we ask these questions that we're like, that's, that used to be like totally doable. So why, why does it seem like the norm? And it, it isn't about cutting the CEO pay necessarily. It's about making sure everyone else is also being paid fairly. So, um, and closing that gap for sure. Yeah, so one thing I was gonna say, do you uh, follow Dan Price on Twitter? Oh, I don't, no. Okay, so Dan Price is like this famous CEO 
to like um, he got famous because like he was um, he cut his own salary. So what he did was he made I think he made like the starting salary for his company like seventy k. And so he put out this like infographic. He was like, you know, the average CEO makes 21 times what their next highest paid person makes. Not just the lowest paid employee, mm-hmm. but the next highest person paid. And so he cut his down to make sure that his lowest employee made 70K. And I think he is now 7X, seven times what his next paid employee makes. Either his next paid employee or his lowest paid employee. So like he cut his own salary. To have that, and he was like, we have the highest retention rate. Our company grew by 300% in the first year after I did that. We're still here after the pandemic. He's constantly talking about like how not just paying $15 an hour, not just paying a little wage, but really making sure that you are providing an environment both through salary, through benefits, through experience, and just through empathy, through like running a company, like how you can make an experience that people want to work with you. Right? And people want to stay there and people want to contribute meaningfully to your company and your organization. And I think you are the for profit company. So it's yeah. like for profits can do this, non profits can do this, everybody can do this. Ideally, if you have the yeah. mind to invest in your people in a meaningful way. So I Right. And if you have the guts, right? The guts to challenge the norm and like as you're describing, uh, you said Dan Price, right? Um, you know, it's clearly amazing PR. It's great for retention, right? Like the only downside is you like can't buy your own jet maybe as easily. I don't know. I don't know. But it's like your life is still really, your quality of life is going to be great anyway. Um, so it's like what? I don't know. It seems to me a no brainer, but I guess I'm not the CEO. So, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but I guess. I guess it's why, like, that's why I want to see the kind of folks who I serve in both in private coaching and my group program, the League of Impact Leaders, which is a six month leadership development program that has like people learn coaching skills, innovation methodologies to apply to diversity, equity and inclusion, as well as social impact. Um, They do uh, like people development work. Um, You know, there's like lots to it uh, and thought leadership. So I'll just like bring it back around. But um, you know, the kind of people in that program and who I work with in private coaching are the sort of like unsung heroes who are doing all the labor and who are like so at this precipice where they're ready to step into leadership and be these transformational leaders who are like, you know, they don't have egos about it. They're there for the impact um, and the well-being of all. Like I'm wanting to help them both build up their confidence and like get the right relationships going, the right access to opportunities so that they can affect that change at a much bigger scale. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's like a great thing too, like just starting with confidence, starting with this normalization of having an ask and like mm-hmm. not being afraid to ask for what you want. And I think we're seeing that play out in real time right now. So for reference, for people who are watching and listening to this right now, you know, we're in a place where you know, there's a quote-unquote labor stories of people who are either refusing to return to work or um, quitting their jobs if they are no longer allowed to work remotely. Um, and then, you know, obviously are a lot of complex issues behind why the unemployment rate is what it is, but I definitely think that the argument can be made that it is due in part to people who are saying, like, listen, I just went through either a very dramatic experience of being let go, or I went, you know, I was working on the front lines as an essential worker, and I saw a lot of people who were in this industry 
like not make it through that and put their health and like lives at risk for work because they can afford to like not go to work. Or, you know, now they're like, you know, I've seen what life could look like when I'm working remotely and I don't have to pay for childcare or I can be more, spend more time with my family and really have a nice quality of life while making a living and I don't want to give that up right now. Um, and so I do think we are seeing people who are kind of standing up for themselves in one way or another by saying like, I want a healthy work environment. I know that it's out there and I'm willing to wait for it if that's what it takes. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like... I don't know how many companies are watching this record this uh, conversation, but if you if you are taking away flexible work opportunities, like you are way behind the times. And I know there are, there are jobs, obviously, like you know, uh, medical. <laughs> someone who works in the medical field, like that's probably not a choice. But although there's like the virtual consultations and options, but like if you work in an office setting in a company and you're forcing people to go back to work. You're like, one, you're taking away accessibility for folks who like literally need it um, and who you probably weren't focused on before the pandemic either, right? You are uh, taking away flexibility for parents, for just for like folks who need some flexibility for mental health. Like you said, Angela, like people are traumatized. And so if you're a company that's like not on board with that flexibility, like I don't know what you're doing sell some of your offices if you need, but like, this is where we are now. So, you know, get used to it or, you know, you're going to be bleeding talent. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's where I'm at on that. Yeah, no, I mean, and you're not wrong. I think like, we're about to see a huge talent shift. I think some people, or at least some part of the conversation that I've been seeing is, well, nobody wants to work, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, well, you know, that's great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be an entrepreneur. I definitely don't feel like there's anything wrong with it. But there's also something to be said that a lot of that, again, is bred out of the fact that they just have not seen themselves, like a place for themselves within organizations in a way that looks healthy and looks fun and looks pleasurable for them. And so that's a part of that desire to kind of like create a work environment that works for people. And so like if you're not being accommodating, like just because you have a job opening doesn't mean that you are have an opportunity that is accommodating to talent who may want that job. And so like that's something else to think about. Like if you have talent like or trying to attract talent, like think about not just attracting the people but attracting the like making a workplace environment, a workplace culture that is attractive to people. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, I hadn't really had this particular conversation before, but this is such an opportunity. It really is for organizations like big and small to do some human-centered design work and, and really rethink what does a great culture look, look and feel like? What does working look like so that it does feel pleasurable and joyful and like somewhere you want to go, like you wake up, you know, at least like feeling neutral, if not great about going there, but like just getting really curious about the people who work in your organization and um, and what their best experience could look and feel like. Yeah, yeah. One thing too, just in that, and I guess like focusing on the executive directors, CEOs, the founders of these organizations and what they could do to you know, again, internally also kind of meet you where you are in terms of coaching people who may be entering these organizations 
is um, I think I read an article that was like, you know, should CEOs speak up on social issues for their brands? Because now there's such a like synonymous definition of CEOs in the companies that they run. So it's like when Elon Musk tweets something or when Jeff Bezos says something, is that a direct reflection of Amazon or Tesla at large, right? And how much of this could be good maybe in terms of expressing the type of people that offer certain your values but also bad and like, you know, maybe indirectly and certainly like defining hard and fast lines of what you believe that mm-hmm. could not really necessarily be deal breakers for like workers who want to join your organization. So it's kind of like the fine line that, you know, people at the top are walking right now in terms of like um, what they say and what they do. And so I definitely have a soft spot for that. But I think that um, there is like that that being said, there is work that they can be that can be done to like still create an environment that is helpful to do different talent. So for sure. Yeah. And I, I think there's like some stuff that it's just like not political to focus on the well-being of your people. And I don't think I think we're in a time where you have to have your line. Right. Like, you you know, and if you waffle on it or if you aren't standing in that those values like year round. Right. I hope it's OK. I mentioned we're speaking in June. Not sure when this will you know be be out there publicly, but there's so much amazing conversation about pinkwashing uh, during Pride Month and like companies that suddenly their logo is a rainbow, but they've never once mentioned their so how they support their LGBTQ plus colleagues or like, you know, how their organization is ensuring that they're equitable year round or lifting up voices or celebrating folks. Like, you know, they just pop up with a rainbow and then see how many products they can sell for being nice and cool, uh, you know? And so I think there's like a lot, I think we're honestly like still kind of early on in navigating companies publicly stating their values and what it means to live by them without like, there was a whole thing with, um, sorry to like call out a brand, but with United, where they were like, we're gonna make sure that we, and this was, I think in, in February, they were like, we're gonna make sure that we have black um, pilots in training and like this percentage, you know, of our pilots. And the response was kind of like, why did you share that? You know, just do it. <laughs> it was kind of, kind of like, okay, so did you do it for the media or because you've been chronically under hiring black pilots? Right. And so like, I think there's a, um, there's a line too. Cause like I was partly in uh, corporate affairs and marketing in a company and like, you don't want to be doing it for the press. You want to be doing it cause it's the right thing and it's aligned with your organizational values. And then if you get press on the backside of that, like that's fine, but do it, do it year round and do it for the right reasons. I think that's like a really great note to end on. And I think that's just something that hopefully people listening to this who are no matter what stage they are in their social entrepreneurship journey and social impact journey can like take away it. Just like whatever you do, how you do it, feel for the right reasons, make sure it's aligned with what you, what you value and the type of people that you want to attract to your organization. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm always happy to have conversations with people who have more questions or like want to dig in on 
these issues um, or challenge me on them, I welcome that as long as you're not mean about it because no assholes in my network. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm at juliafirestonecoaching.com. You can find more info about me and uh, my email's hello at juliafirestone.com. Um, but thank you so much, Angela, for having me. This was such an amazing conversation and I'm sure not our last. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks.